you are the King of the world, Lord God. You are the King of heaven and earth. And our prayer now is, let let be what is in heaven now on earth through our hearts and our lives and our commitments and convictions as we now focus our attentions on you and our affections be renewed. We ask this in the powerful name of Christ our Lord. Amen. God has called us to be a part of his eternal family. And that means that we're better together. We're, we're always better when we are walking by grace through faith in Christ alone with God Almighty. And by doing that, we become a part of something bigger than just our lives. We become a, a part of this eternal plan, this eternal family. And, and what a privilege it is. But I'm going to tell you, you can mess it up. You can mess it up. If you want to mess up your marriage, let me tell you what you do. You stop thinking about we and you start thinking about me. You want to mess up your family, young people, parents, spouses? Stop stop thinking about we. Stop thinking about the family. Stop thinking about uh, what it is, a blessing it is to be a part of this glorious gift of love. And start asking your questions like, well, what am I getting out of this? What do I really want? What will make me feel popular and pleasurable? What will give me the most possessions and and a sense of power? You want to ruin your family? You want to ruin your marriage? You want to ruin your friendships? Think like that. You want to ruin a church? Think like that. Rather than thinking, we think me. And you'll destroy it. See, God has called us to something so much bigger and better than me. He's called us to we, from me to we, where we get to love Him, love one another, be loved, and experience all the one another's of the Scripture. And that's what we're learning about this year. This is, this is what we're focusing on right out of the gate this month, this first month of the year. We've been walking through 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-12, through 12, and today we come to this last verse. And we see what it is we are called to be, what it is we are called to do in this life that is together in being an honorable people. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now to First uh, Peter. First Peter chapter 2. And uh, Stevie Lopez is going to provide our re- reading. So let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. Stevie, where are you, buddy? Come on up and read for us. We're in verse 12. Um, this kind of last section that, that speaks of, of what it means to be the people of God. Uh, Stevie, read that for us. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The Word of God. Thanks be to God. Well done, Stevie. God bless you. Go ahead and have a seat, folks. I don't, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear that scripture, uh, but I think about Jesus. I think about something significant Jesus said. As a matter of fact, when I was writing uh, this this sermon, this series, a year, you know, last year, um, I, I was mindful of the Sermon on the Mount and something that Jesus said there. We read it in Matthew five sixteen. Look what Jesus said in talking about what we're doing. Let your light shine before others. Why? So they see your good works and do what? Give glory to you. No, give glory to your Father who's in heaven. The way we live our lives is important. Our behavior, our attitudes, we need to expect a great deal of ourselves. And here's why. Because our dad does. Our father does. 
He expects a great deal of us. He expects us to live lives that are honorable and that represent Him. Remember what He's done for us? We, we look at this in, in, in terms of the three circles. I hope by now those of you who've been here more than a few weeks can write this. If I were to stand in front of this right now and tell you to draw it right now, don't show your hands. The children all embarrassed the parents in the last service. But how many of you could actually do this? Think about it for just a moment. If I said, right now, draw up the three circles, could you do it? By now, you need to be able to. And if you're a guest with us today, hey, write this down, all right? And, uh, and get to know this, because this gives us a beautiful picture of what God has done for us. The Lord made everything in harmony, but because of sin, there's now brokenness. Broken relationships, a broken world. But God, this is the gospel, the good news is God has come down to rescue us. And if we'll give up on ourselves and believe in Him, we can now recover and pursue God's design. And here's what happens. When we begin to recover and pursue God's design, what we're choosing to do there is to live honorable lives. Lives that bring honor and glory to God and that bless us and bring, and bring really honor in our sense of being one with Him. And it's so crucial, friends, that we be mindful of the way the rest of the world views us. How do those who you work with, how does your family, how do your friends view you? You know, overseas, our missionaries, they get this. They know when they go into a foreign country, they've got to be very mindful to be respectful of the other's customs. They've got to be very mindful of how they are perceived by other people. You know, uh, advertisers do this. Universities now are doing this because uh, they know that their athletic programs and other other uh, uh, people there are, are speaking for them. And so, you know, right now, I, I, you know, it's interesting. Uh, a lot of athletes are not allowed to have their own social media because they're so afraid of what they might say because it will represent them in a bad light. You know, advertisers do this. They're very mindful of who speaks for them. They pay people a lot of money to be their spokesperson. And they want that person to represent them and to be an honorable person that represents an honorable product. How much more so does the Almighty want to make sure that those who claim Him have honorable lives that speak well of Him. Now, please understand, God's not calling us to fake it. God's not calling us to put lipstick on a pig and to be a pig. God is calling us to actually be the beautiful people that are pursuing recovering God's design and becoming like Christ. And as we become more and more like Christ, we will be able to live honorable lives that bring glory to God. Now, to do that, though, we have to understand who we are. Do you know who you are? If you are saved, if you have repented and believed in Jesus Christ, you are a child of the King of Heaven. I can remember my first grade teacher, Mrs. Brown, always trying to make us feel guilty, telling us that we represent our homes, you represent your family. And I was thinking, my family's crazy. I'm representing well up in this place. I don't know what you're doing. But we represent the name of Christ. If you're a Christian, you represent the Lord God Almighty, and you're a child of the King of heaven, and, and you are an ambassador of His holy nation. The kingdom of heaven. You are an heir, and you're an ambassador. And you're a part of a story that is so much bigger than just yours. The Bible is a single story that, that it's in four parts. We know that God made all things, created all things to be in harmony, but because we blew it, 
We ruined it. See, God's purpose has always been His kingdom. God's kingdom was meant to be in that garden and then to expand and cover the whole world through the line of Adam. But because of sin, death has entered the world. Corruption has entered the world. And that's why the world like, looks like this. That's why there's refugees. That's why there's cancer. That's why there's divorce. That's why there's so much destruction in the world because of our sin. But thanks be to God, He came to rescue us in Jesus Christ. And one day He's going to restore all things. But right now, in this fallen world, we are called as the rescued people of God to be a part of this story of seeking out those who are in darkness so that they can see and know the great light of God. And upon His visitation, we'll be prepared to receive His grace. That is an honorable life. So how do we do it? How can we be an honorable people together? Our scripture points to two things I want you to take note of today. The first one is this. We together are called to guard our lives. To guard them. Look back in verse 12 with me. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, that is the ethnos, the, the nations, those outside of the kingdom of God, honorable. Please remember there are two kingdoms in this world. I know there are many nations, but there are two kingdoms. The kingdom of God, of light, and the kingdom of darkness, of evil. And we are members of the kingdom. And so the kingdom of darkness is is often going to stand in, in contrast and against the kingdom of light. And our conduct is to be honorable. We are to stand as a light in their midst. He he expects us to do that. And so to do that, we've got to monitor our conduct. We've got to monitor ourselves. It's not just about keeping from doing wrong, friends. Hear me. It's about doing what's right. It's bigger than just saying no. It's saying yes to the right things. If you want to overcome a sin, if you want to overcome a temptation, if you want to overcome a habit that has has come into your life, you've got to do more than say no. You've got to find something bigger and better to say yes to. And that yes will motivate and drive all your other decisions. And Christ calls us to say yes to a way of life. Now, how do we keep that life? Paul, writing to his protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy, says this in chapter 4, verse 16. Look what you've got to do. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. That's doctrine. Persist in this. Why? What will happen? For so by doing, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. Not that we save ourselves from sins, but we gain assurance of our salvation. And those who are assured of their salvation are able to be able to share with those who have no salvation of the great salvation of our God. But the only way we can do that is if we are guarding what God has given to us. And so there's three things I want to encourage you to be mindful of today. First of all, your head, your heart, and your hands. What you think will drive what you feel. What you think and feel will determine what you do. And first of all, you got to think about your thoughts. What you think about God is the most important thought you have. When I say the, the, this phrase, the Lord God Almighty, what comes to your mind? Charlotte was just thinking about who is I to, to think that I can bring you down. See, if your God is a low God, if, if, if He's an easy God, if He's a God that you really don't have to worship and admire and stand in awe of, it really is going to impact the way you see yourself and the way you see the other, the other people in the world. But if you see God as He is, you know what's going to happen to you? It's going to change the way you see yourself because first of all, you're going to realize how brief 
how temporary and how needy you are, and how much you're loved by that Almighty God. And once you start thinking about God rightly and thinking about yourself rightly, you know what you're going to do with other people? You're going to think about them rightly. And you're going to think, you know what, they're not perfect because I'm not perfect. And you know what, they make mistakes just like I make mistakes. And the same grace that God has given to me, I, I need to give to them. So we, it starts with how we think, and then it changes how we feel. See, once you start thinking right about God, you're in awe of God. You can't help but have your affections moved by Him. You can't help but love Him. You've heard me say this before, to know Jesus is to love Jesus. And to love Jesus is to obey Jesus. If you don't obey Jesus, it's because you don't love Him. If you don't love Him, here's what I'm, I'm going to tell you why. It's because you don't know Him. To know Him is to love Him. And to love Him is, is to, to experience the fullness of life because you know you're loved. So now your affections not only honor and love Jesus, but you can actually love yourself because God has loved you so much. And you know what happens when you start loving God and you start appreciating and, and loving who God has made you? You learn to love other people. You know why there's so much hate in this world? You know why there's hate in our hearts? You know why there's, there's envy and strife inside of you today? It's because you don't think about God, right? And you don't love Him as you should. And so you can't love who God's made you. And, and you don't love and, and admire and appreciate other people. When you love God and you love people, you know what you do? You worship God. You obey God. You see yourself as an instrument to be used by God. And you see other people as opportunities to serve and to bring glory and honor to God's name. When we, when we see God's forgiveness of us and realize because of His holiness and His justice and His greatness, and yet His love and His mercy and His grace, we understand what it is to be forgiven and we receive that forgiveness. And you know what it does in us? It enables us to forgive other people. You know, I love... I love social media, and at the same time, I absolutely hate it. I love it because I love seeing pictures of, of your kids and your family and your pets and what you had for dinner last night. I love that. Do you know what I hate? I hate arguments on Facebook. It is so wrong. You know what I did last week? I quoted someone. And as I do every morning, and <clears throat> went about my day that afternoon, <laughs> I, I, I got a message from someone. And so I saw that something I had said had created an argument that had been going on all day in, in Facebook world. So you know what I did? I deleted it. Because Facebook isn't for arguments. It's for pictures. You might write this down. Family, pets, and food. Nothing else. The worst thing you can do on Facebook is be critical of someone. The worst thing you can do on Instagram, listen, please hear me. If you disagree with someone, don't put it on Facebook. Call them. Call them and say, coffee on me, let's go get a Coke, let's go get a bag of M&M's, which, by the way, is a great peacemaker right there. Whole pound right there. Your friends after work forever. It's just a thought. Sit down with them and say, honestly, hey, what you said there, here's how I took it. I think others were offended. I was offended. What did you mean by it? Let's talk about it. You know, you don't have to agree, but you know what you can do? You can always love each other. And you know what that creates? Love, peace, 
everything that the kingdom of God stands for. And so, guys, we've got to think rightly about God. We've got to think rightly about ourselves and about other people. And you know what's going to do? It's going to change our heart for God, heart for ourselves, heart for other people. And it's going to change the, what, what we do, how we, how, we, how we represent God, how we represent ourselves, how we go to other people. Remember what he said, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Now, remember, Peter here was writing to the Asian community. Honor is everything in that community. Do you know when we go on foreign soil into Asia, we don't talk about sin in terms of it being a, a breaking of the law. That doesn't register with them. When we talk to Asians in their country, when we talk about sin, we talk about dishonoring the maker and your family and your name. And that registers deep within them. Understand what, what, what Peter's doing here is he's saying, keep yourself honorable without shame. Never, never live a life that brings shame to God or to yourself or to your church family, your family. And the other thing he's saying here is, and live with confidence. Know where you stand with God. Know who you are in Christ. Know how you see the rest of the world and the rest of the people. And understand, those who are outside of Christ, they're going to attack you. And so the best way to combat that is not to argue and fight, but to do something else. Write it down. We together are called not only to guard our lives, but look at this, to share our lives. That's how we combat attacks. Look what it says. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, not if, when they attack you, when they misrepresent you, when they come against you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Friends, understand, the gospel is not meant to be an informational exchange. The gospel is meant to be an experiential exchange. We, we share what we experience of the God we know with the rest of the world. Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, look what he said in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Being affectionately desirous of you because of our affections, because our, we understand God in our heart, look what we did. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel, not just information, look, but also our own selves. We shared our lives. Because we were, we, we had become so, you had become so dear to us. Because we understood how great God was and what He'd done for us. How we feel about ourselves now because He loves us that much. We just love you. And because God loves us and, 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 and we love what He's doing and we love you, we wanted to share not just information, we actually wanted to share our very lives. Two years ago, I was at the place where I worked out and, and, uh, and an older an older man, a man older than me, which means he's old, came in, and he was a stud. This dude was strong. He was ripped. He was beautiful and bald and just strong. And, and I just thought, Lord, that man can whoop me all day, every day. He's old. And then behind him came his these two boys that were chubby and soft. And I thought, Lord, I could whoop them and sit. And I realized this was a grandfather with his grandsons. And I realized what, ha what had happened. This grandfather is strong, and he's looking at these boys, and he's thinking, I got to fix this. 
And so here they came, and here they are working out. And these guys, they were working out with weights that, you know, it was not good, and their form was not good. And their grandfather was so funny to watch his face because they, when he, they were looking at him, he's like, good job, buddy, good job. And they look away, he's like, oh, what am I going to do? My boys are sissies, what am I going to do? I saw those guys recently, two years later, and those boys are studs. They are strong. They are ripped. I remember a few months after uh, seeing them the first time, they had spiral notebooks, and they had their workout regimen written down. They were telling their grandfather what they'd eaten that week, and there was accountability. And now these boys are tough. They could whoop me sick. I mean, they are. It's awesome. You know what happened? That grandfather didn't say, hey, guys, let me give you some information. First of all, you're a sissy. And second of all, here's a workout plan. Get strong. Now, what he did? What he did? He said, guys, I'm looking at you, and I'm thinking there's something, something better we could be doing. And you know what he did? He spent time with them. He invested in them. He said, let's go together. Let me show you how to do this. Let me walk with you. Let me help you. And it made all the difference. What did God do with us? Did he say, hey, y'all catch up with me? No, no, no. What did he do? He came to be among us. Emmanuel. God took on flesh to walk with us and show us the way. What did Jesus do with his disciples? Did he say, hey, go be fisher of men. Here's a manual on that, by the way, and I'll catch up with you in heaven. No. Three years, day and night, together, walking with them. What did Paul do with Timothy, his protege? He, he didn't give him, the, the, you know, a, a, a lecture and say, go get it. No, he walked with him. What is God calling us to do? He's calling us to walk with people. Remember kindergarten? Remember show and tell? That's what Christianity is supposed to be. It's supposed to be show and tell. I remember when I was in kindergarten. I remember this. My birthday was in November. I remember it was in November because the kid who came in his day was show and tell. I was so mad because he brought in the coolest remote control car you'd ever seen in your life. It's a monster truck. So cool. And I was mad because... I should have got that for my birthday, right? But Christmas, the good thing about having a November birthday is you get a mulligan, right? And so I was thinking, okay, I know what I want for Christmas, right? And why was that? Because the kid had been talking about the remote controller, but when he actually brought it and he built this Lincoln Log thing and then knocked it over, I had to have it. Guess what everybody in our kindergarten class wanted for Christmas that year? Because he didn't just tell us about it. He showed us, and then he told us how cool and amazing it was. You know what God wants us to do? He wants us to show people our lives. You know, listen, remember this. We as human beings, we always attack what we don't understand and what is different than us. The world attacks us mostly because they think we're a bunch of racist, bigoted, joy kills who's judging everybody else. Do you want to make an impact in the lives of other people? Show them and share with them your life in Christ. Show them what God has done in your life, what He's doing. Show them. They'll see you're not perfect. Believe me, you don't have to tell them. They'll see that. Speak of His grace. Look what it says. They will attack us. When they speak evil against you as evildoers, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to show them by our honorable lives that there's something different. 
we're supposed to not just show it, but also share it. To say, this is it. We share our lives. And, and the way we think about that here is the I squared lifestyle. Last week we gave out cards. There may be some on your way out, but I squared, I, I, two words, invest and invite, I squared. And I ask you to pray at 10.02, either a.m. or p.m. or both, every day, this, this, Luke 10.2. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Not just to pray this prayer. Hear me. Be the answer to this prayer. Pray this and be the answer to this prayer. Be the person who is going where you live, where you work, where you learn, where you play, and invest in people. What am I talking about? I'm talking about being friends. Making friends with people and letting them see what you believe about God. How it changes your view of yourself and your view of the world and of them and other people. Here's the way we Christians typically do it. We want it to be a program. We want it to be something that we can keep out there as a policy. I promised myself I wasn't going to say this, and then I said it at 8 o'clock, and then the 8 o'clock crowd told me I should tell you too. And so, I don't know if I'm going to tell 11, I'm going to tell y'all. There's an argument going on in our world, in our country right now, about refugees. I get it. I understand both sides, reasonably enough. Don't email me. I understand What's at stake here? Let me tell you where I'm convicted. Everybody wants to make this about politics and a policy. I think God wants us to make it personal. Everybody wants a government to do something. Here's my conviction. Here's what hit my heart. I felt convicted by the Holy Spirit because I, like you, live in a city filled with refugees. And I've never had not one of them in my home. Everybody wants to argue about who should be in and out of our country. All right. Who should be in your home? We have all these folks who have broken lives. Are you friends? Are we friends with them? Here's what we want to do. We want to make it a policy. We want to be able to applaud ourselves and pat ourselves on the back. And here, I'm real thrilled to be a part of Living Hope. Five out of the six language groups that are meeting here today, five out of the six of them are refugees. We have five people groups gathering today, speaking another language other than the English, that are being shown the love of Christ. That's great. So let's go a step further. What about the broken people at your workplace, at your school, where you hang out? Have you had them over to your house? Do you invest time with them, coffee? Do you say, hey, let's go for a run, let's go to the walking track, let's talk? How many people do you spend time with regularly, investing in, who don't agree with you spiritually, politically, morally? And how many of them can say, I don't agree with her politically, spiritually, or morally, but I love her because she loves me. How many of you, would it would be said of you men, he's my friend, 
He's my friend. No matter what I believe, no matter how I treat him, no matter what I say, he's my friend. You know what? Thanksgiving came and went. Christmas came and went. All these refugees are here. All kinds of people that are lost. There was room at my table and I didn't invite any of them. It's real easy to talk on Facebook about what policy should be. I'm going to tell you what God says. Who are you loving? Who's at your dinner table? Who's at your lunch table? Who are you having coffee with? Who are you going for a walk with? Who do you sit with? And what do you talk about? I'll tell you, I, I can remember that season of my life when the Lord visited me. I was ready. Look what it says in the last part of verse 12. That they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The day of visitation is not when Jesus returns. He's talking about the day when God brings conviction of the Holy Spirit on that person that you've been investing in. I can remember June 28, 1988. I think about it all the time. Because that's the day when the visitation happened to me. All of a sudden, these people who had been so kind to me, who had invited me to their homes for dinner and prayed in front of me and talked about Jesus and their, their love for each other, people who invited me to their church and I'd listened to their sermons and they'd made me feel so welcome even though I cussed sometimes in their pews. I did. And even though I, I, I tried to, to do other things too. And so, see what they did? They let me belong. And on the day of the visitation, I believed. I believed because the Spirit of God was at work in my life. But I was able to believe because people had invested in me as friends and loved me. You know who's going to come to this church? The people you bring to sit with you at this table. This is our family meal. This is when we come to eat of the Word of God. And how many people at where you work and where you go to school and where you walk and where you work out and where you play need a family, need to know who God is and know His love and be sharing His love. It's only going to happen as we invest and invite. Let that convict you. Please understand, life is better together and there's so many people out there that need your friendship. Your friendship. Build friendships with those in darkness so that on the day of that visitation, maybe they'll receive. Maybe they'll become a part of what God's doing. And maybe they'll be in heaven with us. Can you do that? Here's the challenge. you got to guard your faith. you got to guard your heart. you got to share your life. you got to start praying for lost people. And you got to start spending time with them and talking with them and caring for them and loving them. Some of you need today to come to this altar and you need to pray about that. You need to commit yourself to that. So let's stand together as we pray. <clears throat> Father, we have 10,000 reasons to bless you. But there are people in this city that can't come up with maybe any or just maybe a few. Some that are angry, some that are hurt. Some just don't know. And here we are with the capacity to be their friends, to invest in them, and then to invite them to come to this table, to come to be a part of your family. 
Lord God, we are negligent in this. We want it to be a program. We want government policies. We want to talk about things that don't impact us personally. But that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about real life, where we live, and what we really do. So would you hear the prayers of those who come today asking for forgiveness, asking for you to be at work in the lives of their family and friends, and that they would be a friend to them, and that God, on the day of visitation, that they would get to be a part of what you do? Hear us as we praise you, but God, hear us as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.